0: No, the Lord told me to take him off. I said, "Yeah, I'm thankful we have carpet up here. It'll be cold." Hmm. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We trust you, Lord. To do your will. For we have come before your throne seeking you. And you promised when we seek you, we'll find you. Father, know our hearts, that they burn for you. You are the one that made them burn for you, like a stick plucked from the fire. I ask your will to be done this morning. I ask that you speak only what you desire to speak. I ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit move and permeate this place. Lord, we long for you. I long for the world to see you. I long for your church to see you. And yet, so many of us walk blind. Build a hunger in us. That is not attached to this world. Not attached to what we know. Or what we think we know. Father, you told me once that our spirits learn differently than our minds. You look at the heart and you draw our spirits to you and you train them. I ask, Father, that you bring our minds to the same place that you are bringing our spirits. A knowledge of you, a, a knowing of you, a friendship with you. Help us never to grow tired of hearing your call for that friendship. Your call for that relationship. For no training, no education, no striving, nothing can produce relationship. But you and a submission of our will to yours. I worship you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. The song that we sang before the last one tried by fire or what's it called refiner, refiner fire no refiner just refiner Re-troner. no fire in there no. there's fire in the song though <laughs> it, is a fire song. it is a fire song i'll tell you what if you really listen to the words and you let them come out of your mouth recognize what you're singing Recognize your heart's desire in that. It's not, come come beat me up, Lord. <laughs> it's not about that. But it's about the purity that comes when he puts us through the fire. Oh, man, there is not a better place to be than his fire. I mean, you hear it talked about all the time. Lord, show your fire. Israel was led by a pillar of fire during the day, right? Or during at night, and pillar of cloud during the day. There's hope in that fire. There's glory in that fire. There is life in that fire. So man, heavy words when you sing that song. I want to be tried by fire. Purified. I trust that those are the real sentiments of your heart when you sing that and declare it. Because when it comes out of your mouth, He holds you to it. And He knows your heart. And just like what I prayed, He said, when we seek Him, we'll find Him. Uh, I I was with Him this morning just praying remembering stuff that I had learned about Azusa Street Revival and some others and have never experienced. And not that we haven't experienced things, not that I haven't experienced things, I've experienced a lot. But when you're hungry for him, you want more i got to tell you guys, this is not enough for me. This is not enough. And and to tell you what he's doing with Ignition, I mean, the meetings that I had this last week down at Liberty were were phenomenal. I mean, eye-opening, mind-blowing. I couldn't even tell you what they're about. I mean, one, because we're in the midst of them, but... <laughs> two because it's just your mind goes boom, like this the meetings that we've had regarding Nigeria and, and all of it, all of it right now is about Nigeria but all these things going on in another week and a half we have five ministries now five that are coming 25 people <laughs> 25 people coming to Nigeria To see what God is doing through ignition. And yet, I've got to be honest with you, I'm just not satisfied. As glorious as that is, and I'm so thankful for that, I just want His presence. I want to feel Him, I want to see Him. I want to see His glory. He let an entire nation see His glory day and night as He was leading them through dark times. Through darkness. The children of Israel got to see it every day. I don't know about you, but I want that. Not that I don't want them to have it. I'm glad they had it. I want them to have it again. But I want it. I want it. I want the manifestation of a person with no legs to have their legs grow out. I told the Lord... This morning, I said, you, you bring somebody here. I said, if I see somebody come in with a wheelchair, I will stop service. And online, I'll bring him up front, and I trust you. I kept looking, Lord, come on, <laughs> bring him in. I don't know how he's going to do it. I just know he is. If all I can offer him is the raw faith of my yes, then I will give that, and I do give that. He has my yes beyond Nigeria. He has my yes beyond Washington, D.C., what we're doing in all these places. He has my yes beyond all that. Because none of that is the prize, He's the prize. He's the prize. I've seen Jesus Christ once in my life. And I mean see him in the physical like I'm seeing you. I don't know about you, but once isn't enough. It's not enough. Wait a second. Paul got to spend a lot of time with him. Paul was taken up to heaven and got to be there. We know other people that have been taken to heaven and got to be there. Enoch, he got to go back and forth all the time. Now, Lord, I, I, I'm i not jealous. I'm just laying it down as evidence that you do that with mankind. And I'm saying, how about us? How about us here? We seek you with our whole heart. We want you. So I ask for those manifestations. Not Honestly, not even for ourselves. I would believe without seeing. But there are a lot of people in this world, a lot of people in the bride, that won't and that don't. So His manifestations are coming. We see that setup happening over and over again. But it begins and all of it begins with that place of being tried by fire. You can't step into a fiery furnace, if you will, without confidence in him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stepped into that fiery furnace knowing full well. They, they didn't know what the outcome would be because they, they even said, if, it, if it's God's will for us to die, we will die. If it's God's will for us not to die, we will not die. They didn't know what the outcome would be. They thought they knew what it would be. And they walked in with confidence knowing that it's in His hands. Their lives are in His hands. Do you walk in that confidence today? Do you walk in that confidence of knowing that your life, as you are in the fire or stepping into the fire, is in His hands? No matter what. That's a sobering thought, guys. I I really want you to think about it. Because there are things coming that are going to surprise you. When the darkness comes, that's when the light is supposed to shine brightest. So recognize that they're both there. The light that you are supposed to be, the light that I am supposed to be, is bright. In the presence of darkness, that means that darkness is there. Now that we've turned into this new year, and you've, you've heard it before, we're going into a place of real darkness. Boy, you see it setting up. What does darkness look like? Darkness is unorganized. Darkness is haphazard. Darkness, in the Word of God, is chaos. What do you see happening? <laughs> I hate to agree with a Democrat, okay? Let me preface that right away when I say this. I don't even know who the guy was. He, he was a tall, like, lanky black gentleman, white, almost white hair, and they were asking about, you know, these Joe Biden documents and, and, and how they were found in his garage by his Corvette. By the way, if, if they have to confiscate the Corvette, I would really love to have that car. That is a beautiful car. And I'm sorry, but he doesn't deserve it. I don't know if that's about a 64, 63, but that's right around my birth year. I think it'd be a great present. Just saying. But bottom line is they started to ask the Democrats, well, what do you think's going on? You know, uh, is the Justice Department going to be as hard on, on Biden as they are on Trump and all this stuff? And at the beginning, we're thinking... Yeah, they're just gonna try and cover it over and all this. And then then you start to hear these whispers that they're not. The Justice Department all of a sudden comes out and says, No, we're we're going to investigate this. And in fact, they put a they put a uh special counsel on it and all this. And my my mind, my Untrusting mind is like, okay, where's the loophole and all that? They're going to appoint somebody who is just going to do lip service to the left and blah, 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 make it go away. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're going to bury him. Let me tell you why. Because they're the ones doing this. This, this, this. I think he was a senator. I can't remember if he was a senator or congressman, but this guy, he was the one whom actually I agree with. He said, well, I don't know. It just seems kind of strange that, that after all this time, they just all of a sudden show up now. Yes. Yes, that is strange to me. I mean, I got to tell you, I don't even know if Joe Biden actually put him in, in his garage or not. And he may have, he may have forgotten, (laughs) probably. But I also don't put it past their own party to have planted them and have already planned to bury Joe Biden. Why? Because he hurts them. He hurts them. He's not helping them, he is hurting them. And bottom line, the Lord told us that the enemy is going to start consuming themselves and consuming each other. Don't let it surprise you what's going on. But also don't let it surprise you that it will get dark. It's going to get dark. It's going to get difficult. Why? Because it's supposed to. That's the part of being purified. See, the remnant has risen up and has prayed for this country and all over the world. And have said, Lord, this is yours. You paid for it when you rose from the dead, died on the cross and rose from the dead. It's been paid for by your precious blood. And yet the enemy still occupies and controls. The remnant has, pray, has lifted that up in prayer. Pleaded with the Lord for this to be the time. And he has heard those prayers. Because it is the time for his bride to rise. Don't be confused what that means. That is not simply in a spiritual sense. I've talked about it many times. It is in a physical sense. The bride rising to rule because Jesus Christ is to rule through her. And I don't mean rule in our hearts. (laughs) I don't mean rule on this street corner. Man, study the Word of God. I'm talking about ruling the world. Stewarding everything that was originally given to Adam because it's never been done Adam failed gave it away it has been a fight ever since up until the day Jesus Christ paid for it to reclaim it and then ever since then he's been waiting on his bride to be ready it's time It's time. His bride is going to rise. But first, there is coming a deeper cut in the bride. You're also going to see in the coming months, the bride turn on herself. You're going to see those in the bride that would want peace and tranquility over righteousness. And they're going to speak out against those who would speak against the leadership of this country and the world. Watch. This, this isn't just me saying, oh, you know, I think this is going to happen. This is absolutely what the Lord has said. And he has shown it in his scripture. He has said it to his prophets. Don't be surprised when it happens. That separation within the bride is only going to widen. Because the separation is not justified of sin or not justified of sin. The separation is what we've been talking about. It's relationship. It is intimacy with God. It is knowing Him and Him knowing you. You ever wonder why in the Word of God it said, Pass from me, you know, in the judgment seat, Pass from me for I never knew you? Wait a second. God knows everything. Of course He knows me. What's He talking about? He's talking about that we never yielded ourselves to him in that relationship. He never knew us. I know Donald Trump, but I don't know him. I've never met him. I don't have a relationship with him. It is about that intimacy, it's about that relationship. And we're at a time now where that light that comes from you because of that intimacy is supposed to pierce the darkness. He has said for a while that our voice is about to be released. Well, that voice is to pierce. That voice isn't just my voice. That voice is your voice. That voice is God's voice speaking through you. In what he has given you to steward. You know, last week we talked about eternal security. We talked about living life through a paradigm of confidence in Jesus Christ. Instead of a baseline of fear. That is such an important concept to grasp. Because fear can drive you in different ways. Fear is what kept the children of Israel out of the promised land. Think about that. God's will for them was to come out of Egypt with all the spoil that they came out with and make this 11 or 12 day journey to the promised land and then take it. And yet what was Satan able to do? Through fear, he sparked in them Eyes that could only see in the physical. Ah, oh, but there are giants there. You've got to understand your scripture. See, they knew what that meant because they were all good trained Jews. They knew that meant Genesis 6. That word there is the same. They knew that they were in the bloodline of the Nephilim. What were they afraid of? I mean, David certainly wasn't afraid of height. I'll tell you what, I played football, and some of the toughest running backs were the small ones. It's like, man, alive, you cannot catch that guy. (laughs) How you can run as fast sideways as you do forward is beyond me. So so it's not just height. It's not just weight. It's not just muscle. And it was proved 40 years later when Israel devastated the promised land in conquering it. So why did that first generation miss out? They missed out because of fear. They even had the opportunity. <laughs> and, and honestly, the, the bulk of the blame is on the ten who gave a bad report. Two who gave a good report. And they even did their best to convince. But the masses were so in tuned with how things were in the physical That they couldn't see spiritually what was going on. Tell you what, guys, we're there now. We're we're there. We're there as a bride. The promised land has been searched out, the reports are coming back. The remnant says that it is ripe. And it is ready. Other voices in the bride say, No, let's be woke. Let's just be all inclusive. Let's be this, let's be that, so we can keep our congregations intact. The choice is for everyone in the bride. What are you going to do? There is a huge difference now than back then. Back then, God went upon the answer, and Moses, if you will, went upon the answer of the majority of the people. Because they said, no, we will not go. We're afraid. That's not how it's going to end up this time. This time, those who would believe the bad reports in the bride, what they're really choosing is fear over God's sovereign will. They will place themselves, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, They will place themselves in a category in which they do not belong. And that's the world. Remember, this isn't talking about eternal life. This isn't talking about eternal security. This is talking about their placement here. This is talking about their testimony. This is talking about what God is calling for their lives here. They're going to literally put themselves in the category of the world. What is the world? They walk around with a target on their back. A target not from God but from the enemy. Because it's the enemy's call and desire to seek and destroy. To kill and destroy. If he can't get God's remnant, who do you think he's going to go after? So that dividing line is here. It's upon us. Now, Luckily and thankfully, God looks at the heart. Like, like I prayed, our spirits learn different than our will, than our mind. Lord told me that years ago. He looks at our heart and our spirit reflects our heart. So there are some out there. I think many out there. I think I, I would love to think even the majority of the bride out there that their hearts are hungry for God and that they will believe when they see. I believe it. I believe as that. that's what I believe the revival is. The revival isn't just that the world is going to get saved and just invite Jesus Christ into their heart and be justified of sin. I mean, that's part of it. But the revival literally is going to be People waking up. The bride waking up. Those whose spirits have been trained in loving Him, but their will has not moved in that direction. They are going to come around. And we all have people that we know that are like that. We all have family, perhaps, that we know that are like that. I believe they will. But we're at that time. We're at that crossroad. So don't be surprised when things, as things are getting darker and darker. Not that you want the darkness, but you want the, line, the light to shine. Don't be afraid of the darkness. Don't be afraid of the promised land. Don't be afraid of the giants. Don't be afraid of what you see. Don't be afraid of the situations you're put in. Don't be afraid. Because God does not use fear. Fear is a tactic of the enemy. You don't have to be afraid. Don't equate fear with pain. Right? Don't equate fear with the pain of being on the battlefield. You ask any Navy SEAL. One of the things they're trained... To do is to walk into battle controlling fear. Not letting fear control them, but controlling that fear. Doesn't mean you don't have fear. Doesn't mean that the enemy will not try to put fear on you. It's about taking that and casting it down as a vain imagination. Thank you. I don't even want to know what you think about what you found on the web. Good old Siri. We're not going to listen to Siri this morning. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what's here. Don't be afraid of what what is coming. Don't be afraid of even what comes to your doorstep, don't be afraid. Just like the seals do, walk onto that battlefield controlling that fear. The Bible tells us to cast down those vain imaginations. So cast it down. What does that mean? If I feel afraid, speak it out. The Bible says that fear is a spirit. Spirit. So talk to it like one. I command you in Jesus' name to be gone. And then you step. And you move. And you do what God has called you to do because we are required to steward what He gives us. What Adam gave away, now he is going to bring under the control of the bride to steward, not... Not so we get cool things in life. I mean, the Corvette would be nice. (laughs) But not those things. Right? Doesn't mean we don't get to enjoy those things. But it's not about those things. It's literally about giving it back to God. That's what Adam was supposed to do. That's what he did up in till he gave it away we're to steward without raising your hand you know how many of you have managed people how many of you have been responsible for other lives in a management position i'm not talking about your children i mean that that applies too but where you are responsible Literally for the movement of somebody else. That's who the bride is supposed to be. That's who the remnant will be and is. Because, see, we're supposed to fight for them. We're supposed to fight for them. If you're a manager, you're supposed to put your team before you. That's what Jesus did. Jesus' team was his bride. He put, him, he put them before him, knowing that it would cost him his life. And it needed to. Because he was the only one qualified to pay the price. So the old covenant would be fulfilled, and a new covenant could be put in place. If you don't understand that, read Hebrews. Hebrews. Honestly, read just about every book in the New Testament. We are under a new covenant. The covenant of His blood. The covenant that went outside the walls of Israel and grafted in everybody else who would choose God and say yes. Doesn't mean that the law was abolished, by the way. Because from the Father's perspective, His law is what governs heaven. But it says Jesus becomes our advocate. Jesus becomes our legal attorney. He he becomes our representation when we accept Him as Savior. And when we do that, it's kind of like wearing this Jesus cloak. Right? This filter of, of Jesus' blood that the Father sees us through. But we're required to steward what we're given. Last week we talked about that eternal security. We talked about that that confidence that you can walk in. But where do we go from there? I know we talked about the difference between justified justification of our sin and intimacy and relationship with Jesus Christ. But what does that intimacy mean? It means stewardship. Why are we on this earth? Stewardship. Why were we created in the You ever think about that? Okay, God created Adam. He could have created him and not given him work to do. Think about that. He created him and then created a job for him. Like, yeah, I didn't just create you to just kind of hang out. I created you to actually do something. It said that we're made in the image of God. If you really understand the Hebrew of that, it's not that we are created to look like God. We are created to become His imagers. That's the literal Hebrew. We are to become His imagers. We are to steward our lives to the point where He is working through our lives so when people look at us, they don't see us. They see God. That is being His imager. That's why He created us in the first place. That's why Satan fought it so hard and fights it today. Why? Because everywhere he looks, he sees God. Last thing he wants is a bunch of imagers that look like God. And show God. And become His imagers. Why? Because He is damned. Literally hell. The abyss was created for him and the angels that chose to oppose God. It was never intended for man. But yet, because of man's choice, that became an option. How sad is that? How sad. It never should have been an option. Things were not stewarded properly. We have a choice now. We have a chance now to steward properly. And to bring this world into a place of stewardship as it was meant to be. That's what God is doing. That's what He wants to do and that's what He wants to use you for. You are not just sitting in a chair receiving something. You have a responsibility to fulfill what God is calling you to do. That's about stewardship. You know, I want you to turn. Let's, let's look at stewardship here for a second. Turn to Luke. Talks about this in Matthew 2, but I, I, I like the Luke. Luke 19. The parable of the ten minas. This is an example that Jesus gives. Now, now you know what? Before I go into it, recognize what had just happened before this. It, it, was, it was the whole bit with Jesus and Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, wee little man was he. That little song that we learned when we were like five years old. I think there were even motions to that song, weren't there? He went up a tree and Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I wish I could remember it enough to sing it for you, but I won't. You're you're welcome. You're welcome. I, I won't do that. But this is the story. Basically, he calls him down and Zacchaeus, everybody hated him right? Everybody, he was a tax collector, I believe, but everybody hated him and, and Jesus said, come on down, you're going to take me to your home for lunch. Now, I'm, I'm not sure that people would get a very good reaction if, you know, if I came to your house and said, you take me to your house, you're making lunch for me today. <laughs> well, no, you take me to your house, you're making lunch for me today. But Zacchaeus said, yes, took him there and and Zacchaeus, his heart was changed. His heart wanted God, and and Zacchaeus said, uh, just at the end there, he said, verse eight of chapter nineteen. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have def- and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I s- restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, which. <laughs> Which by, by the way, I don't get that. If anybody gets that, let me know because shouldn't it have been sevenfold? Just saying. Just saying. But whatever. It just thought in the back of my mind. But Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So that's what had just happened. And it was off of that thought, off of that whole situation that happened, that Jesus goes into a parable. And this parable is about stewardship. So remembering what just happened, he goes into this idea of stewardship. And he says, verse 11, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, now recognize something here. Because Jesus said earlier, when he proclaimed literally that he was the Christ when he was in Nazareth, and they were going to kill him for it, right? And that's when he kind of slipped through the crowd. And where'd Jesus go? I don't know. He slipped through, slipped away somehow. But... But it was at that point he said, if this has happened, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, he's saying the kingdom of God is here. And he preached about that through his entire ministry. But there's a difference between the kingdom of God being there and it appearing. Because that's the classification that he uses here doesn't mean it can't be seen, guys. Appearance is to show those who cannot see. You understand the difference? They supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, verse 12, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Now, remember, he's telling a story. the, the, The... Disciples asked him one time, why do you, what do you teach him parables? He said, because they won't understand. Literally, you have to seek him to understand. It, it's something that, why, why did he talk in riddles, if you will, is what they were saying to him. And he said, because they won't understand. Why did he not want them to understand? Because he wanted them to seek him. Because when you seek him, you'll find him. When you seek him, you'll understand. He starts to peel back the layers of the Word of God for you to understand what he's saying. So he speaks this parable. Again, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return, calling ten of his servants. By the way, I want to point out something very, very important here that word servant. It's it's from the Greek word doulos. It is the same exact word when Paul calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. Same word. And it does not mean slave. It means a particular type of slave. It is a bond slave. Now, most bond slaves back then were A choice. You would have people that would choose to be a bond slave to somebody else. You could have a bond slave that that came out of being in uh, jail. You know, they owed a debt and they got out of jail and they basically became a bond slave to pay it off, right? But it's different than a slave that was conquered. It, It is really a slave by choice. So same word. Calling the ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, which is is an amount of money, and said to them, engage in business until I come. And that's all he told them. Here's money. Engage in business until I come back. He's, He's saying here, steward what I am giving you until I come back verse 14 but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying we do not want this man to reign over us so they rejected him when he returned having received the kingdom he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had what they had gained by doing business the first came before him saying lord your Mina has made ten Minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. And, and I, I like in the in the Matthew version it says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your Mina has made five Minas. And, and by, by the way, I want, want you to notice something here. Um, and the reason why I like this parable a little bit, I, it, it is different than the Matthew. By the way, those are not two versions of hearing the same story. I believe it, it is Jesus who gave two different parables, okay? Because in the first one, there were, there were uh, five, I believe, or three, I can't remember. But they were given different amounts. In this one, they were all given the same amount, It's like, you each get this amount. You each get this mina. Let's see what you do with it. That's what he's doing in his bride. Here, you have this amount. We're going to see what you do with this. And then the first came to him saying, My mina, my one mina, has made ten minas more. He said, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. Or the, the word there is, is hard or harsh. High expectancy. Okay, you were a severe man. You take what you do not deposit and reap what you do not sow. He said to him, to this servant, by the way, this servant, that is the same word. This is not a non-Christian, guys. This is, he's, he's referring to, to Christians. He's re- referring to his servants in this parable. So he said, verse 22, he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. (laughs) That one I like, the Matthew version, where it says, I would have at least, at the very least, collected interest. At least. At least let somebody else do something with my money. Instead, you bury it in the ground and you hide it. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. He said, I tell you to everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Wow, what what an incredibly important thing to understand here. Because, see, the woke system today would tell you, well, well, no, I mean, if if you're going to take it away from the one, you shouldn't. But if you're going to take it away from him, let's be fair and, and maybe give it to somebody else who only had two or only had five. You know, why why are you giving it to the one who has the most? See, understand God's thought process here. It's not about what we think is fair. It's not about God's provision at all. God provided equally to all of them. It was about the outcome of their stewardship of what He gave them. Everything, every Christian, everyone who has received Jesus Christ into their heart has been given their mina. (laughs) They've been given talents. They've been given a calling. They have been all given the same opportunity to build relationship with Jesus Christ. Now some, some may have opportunity in different ways. Maybe one has an opportunity in the business world. Maybe one has an opportunity in the political world. And, and in this world, that world, that's not what he's talking about. They were all given the same opportunity To build relationship. Each one of us are given the same opportunity to build relationship with Jesus Christ. So apply that. And what does it look like? Well, to one, it was built to this point. To another, to this point. This had ten. This had five. I find it interesting that he only mentions three of them. What happened to the other seven? I don't know. But truly, they all had the same opportunity. And they were being judged by how they stewarded that opportunity. You will be judged by your own words, it says in the Bible. We just read it. You'll be judged by what comes out of your mouth. You'll be judged by the faith that protrudes out of your mouth. As much as the lack of faith. That comes from your mouth. That judgment is not hellfire, guys. (laughs) That judgment is literally an interview. God's great interview. If I could sum life up to one thing for a believing Christian, that's what it is. God's great interview. Because He is teaching us to steward because we're going to have an opportunity to steward something else. And to those who say, well, I don't have anything to steward. I mean, I I have a job. I I make... (laughs) used to be that I would say, yeah, I have a job making... Minimum wage, you know, three twenty-five an hour, and now it's more like I don't know, forty bucks an hour. Or what's what's minimum wage now? <laughs> yeah, okay, it's a little past the three twenty-five when when I when I was at minimum wage way back when. But you say, well, you know, there isn't a whole lot that I can steward. You know, I, maybe I, I'm just a kid and I get allowance. You know, I get ten bucks a week allowance. You know how? I mean, how much can I, I'll give it all then. That's not the stewardship. The stewardship is relationship with Jesus Christ and listening to Him. He'll tell you what to do with the stuff. Don't take it into your own hands. Well, Lord, I'm going to steward my job and I'm going to steward my friends and I'm going to steward my mouth and steward everything else. I just hope you're pleased with me while the entire time, the one thing you're not stewarding is your faith. And that's what He wants most of all. Steward your faith. Isn't it interesting how when we do not steward faith, and perhaps everybody in here has seen this, when we do not steward faith, we lose even what we have. I've seen that. I've seen that in friends. I've seen it in family. Where even the very pillars that they stood on when they did not steward their faith before the Lord, they lost what they had. And so often they're driven by fear. Did they lose their salvation? No. No. It's not about that. It's about stewardship. I'm just trying to make the right decisions and be you know, I, I give my ten percent to the Lord and 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 I, I you know I don't cuss at, at work and you know I, I I always try to talk about what the preacher said on Sunday and you know I, I'm just trying to manage don't waste my time. Don't waste your time. If you are not seeking God and what he wants to speak through you in that moment by faith. You've missed the mark. You have literally set aside opportunity. That's what building relationship is. It's for us becoming His imagers, which is what He wanted in the first place. We're to look like Him. And I I don't mean physically. I'm sure He's better looking than this. I mean spiritually. Spiritually. I mean, emotionally. I mean, as a friend. When people look at us, like I said before, they're supposed to see Jesus Christ. That's what stewardship really is. It's stewarding our hopes. It's stewarding our faith, even when it doesn't make sense. When Jesus has said, That he's coming again. You have to steward that faith when it just seems darkest. Well, the faith would tell you then, well, darkest before the dawn. Well, it's going to get really dark here. But in that darkness, the bride will shine. Do you have faith for that? Do you have faith to be one of those lights That's what stewardship is. It's stewarding your faith. It's stewarding your hope. He said here, take the mina from him and give it to one who has ten. Go down to verse 26. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Because he has to trust the person that he gives things to. And then he throws in this last little thing in verse 27. I love it. He says, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Oh well, you know, that that's just a parable. I mean, Jesus is just kind of kidding. He he doesn't actually mean that. Wait a second, isn't God the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow? He meant that for Jericho. He meant that for Sodom and Gomorrah. His reaction to them, his Choice to go after them was not something he was just forced into. He did it because of his justice, because of his righteousness. Now that last verse there, you could apply those to the people who are not saved. There's your application of the difference. To those who would not Believe Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He said, "Bring him before me and slaughter him." Hmm. We're there. We're there. Jesus made a another point that I thought was interesting because he even used an example of the world and how the world would steward shrewdly. And yet, why can't his bride? Why can't we as Christians? I want you to turn, go over to Luke, just a few pages back, Luke chapter 16. And it's it's another parable that he gives. It's called the parable of the dishonest manager. And basically, to, to set it up, what happened was this this manager was a horrible manager. He did not steward properly what the Lord what the the king or, or the, the commander had given him to steward. And he found out that he was gonna be fired. And he said, Oh, that's not good. I I can't I don't have a body strong enough to dig ditches anymore. And and I, I, I certainly don't have, I have too much pride to beg. So, so okay, you know what I'll do? I'm going to go to everybody who owes him money, and I'm going to go and get them to pay some. And, and I'm going to give them such a deal that when I do get fired, they're going to take me in. They're gonna, I, I'm their friend, so they'll take care of me. And that's what he did. He goes to each person and he said, you you owe a hundred bags of this? Okay, cut it in half. Pay 50. Pay 50 right now and your debt's done. I'm still manager. I'm still manager for a couple of weeks. Better do it now. I'm cutting your deal literally in half. I'll sign off on it and we're done. He did that to all of the debts. Made all those new friends. But you know the interesting thing? Is the king was... Kind of blown away by it. And that's where we'll pick it up in verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager of his shrewdness. <laughs> I think that's so funny. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. What he's saying here is, even this guy was shrewd enough to steward recognizing what was coming. Will you be shrewd enough in your life now to recognize that you are responsible in your stewardship of your life, of your choices, of your faith? Of everything in your walk with the Lord. He said, If if an ungodly guy can do this, certainly you can. Certainly you could steward this. And it is about stewarding that relationship. And and by the way, we won't go there, but I I talked about it I think last week or the week before. How and I mentioned it a few few minutes ago about this being a interview to steward what? Well, in eternity, we said, I think last week, if I recall, Revelation twenty one, there are gonna be cities. There are gonna be nations. In fact, it says the city of Jerusalem will, will never close its doors by day and there will be no night. So in other words, they're open all the time. For what? For the nations to bring in their glory as an offering. That means there are nations out there. That means there's a leadership structure all over the world. And by by the way, this is is not just in the thousand-year reign. This is chapter 21. This is after the great white throne judgment. This is after Satan is bound and cast. This is after the abyss is now cast into the whatever, the outer something. Never to be remembered again. So, so all that's done, all that's gone. And yet there are still nations on the earth? Wait a second. You're telling me that when I go to heaven, I'm going to have a job? Yes, you are. You're going to have a responsibility. Why? Because that's what we were created for. We were created to be His imagers. That literally we would let Him shine through us in how we steward what He gives us. So that that one, the, the servant who had a single mina and turned it into ten, and then was then given the eleventh one, and he said, now these are cities that you will be in charge of. Well, was he put in charge of a city right then? No. I mean, the parable doesn't say that. People that live their life full of faith, are they placed into that leadership right then and there? Perhaps some. We're entering a time where we're going to see that manifest globally. But that's not what the interview interview process is for. The interview process is for that time when God, who who, who said in, in chapter 21 of Revelation, it is now time for me to come live with mankind. That's why we see the dropping of the new Jerusalem, which is heaven. It comes down, and literally God dwells with His creation. Why? Because we're stewarding. He His glory demands our stewardship so we become His imagers, letting Him shine through us. So I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you, and you come on up, but I want to encourage you of how important stewardship is. Don't think it's a minor thing. Don't think, well, I don't have much. So there's really not a whole lot to steward. Every one of you, every one of us, has the same to steward in the Spirit. It's just, are you going to steward it well? Are you going to offer Him faith that doesn't make sense? Just because He said it.
1: I asked the Holy Spirit what He wanted because I felt earlier I was just going to go right to prayer, and this is just burning in me to, to give you um, in, in a scripture. And it's from Ephesians 4 that I was just thinking about, because it's so wild how Holy Spirit just, it's the same spirit in each of us. And so what we were talking about with the ladies' class this morning, about, um, from Psalm 103, even as he referred to the, the children of Israel, God made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. His ways, his, the way that he does things, he was able to reveal to Moses because of Moses' faith and stepping up and, and investing in relationship. He could show him what he was like. But, but the children of Israel, because of their fear and their unbelief, could only see God through the demonstration of his acts. And there's such a difference in reflecting of faith. And so Ephesians 4... Um, it's, um, starting in verse 17, I just, and I'm in the ESV, by the way, just to, in this particular translation, it says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Um, I thought it was interesting. You know, you often see the word um, from verse 19, "Given themselves up to sensuality, greeted to practice every kind of impurity. Sensuality is not just about a sexual desire. Sensuality is about Getting caught up in the needs of this world, how it impacts our bodies, our lives, how we live, whether we're going to have enough money to have enough food, to have enough clothes, to have enough, you know, whether we're going to feel fulfilled in our jobs, whether we're going to have the education that will make us feel important and fit into society and all these things that come from the, the fleshly desires, if you will. Those are the things that dominate. And as he was talking, I just felt Holy Spirit saying, do you see why it's important to have your mind renewed? If we don't have our minds transformed and renewed, this whole readiness is going to be very challenging. At the very beginning, when he talked about being a seal, Navy seal, not a... Oh, oh, not that kind of seal, <laughs> a Navy seal. Um, I've, I'm intrigued with some of those military references, having a military dad and others in my family, um, two nephews who are Marines currently. Um, it is just uh, it is just no joke what they I mean, there is a mental readiness that they have to have and they're. If you, it's such a great parallel to our readiness in, in an understanding because they have to trust their trainer, their sergeants, their leaders, but they have to trust each other. They have to be willing to invest. Anyone that decides, yeah, I'm good, I'm just, you know, I'm just gonna, yeah, you know, me and the sarge got something, you know, I'm gonna follow what he's doing, but I'm just gonna kind of withdraw and, you know, and I'm good. I, I'm gonna, I got my training down. They'll be like, look, it's not about you. It's about us as a unit. We are to, in the great commandment, which the Lord said encompasses all of the law, we're to love him and then love one another as ourselves. The effectiveness of a SEAL team is their teamwork, their trust in first their leader, their training, and then in each other. And I just thought, wow, that is such a picture of why it's so important to be unified and to You know, from everything, there's a legalistic kind of lens on it that I have had to so unlearn and cast off in this whole, I mean, because I grew up and church attendance was just barked at you and all this stuff. And you have to let some of that go because there's a portion of it that's just plain true. We are not to forsake the assembling. We're not to withdraw from one another and be divided as much as we're able to ask the Lord to heal your mind if you had an upbringing like mine, because I've had to do that. And yet at the same time, I'm like, you know, but Lord, teach me how to do that, how to to trust you and be ready and be able to, to be responsive. There's something about being unified that also helps you to steward because I'm not just living with my own mindset. I'm being renewed and transformed by the Lord, but it's sharpened by the body around me. We all have blind spots. We all have things that, um, man, it, it's very humbling. And just, I don't, I don't underestimate how strongly that, I, that I'm saying that. It, it is humbling to be on a team or in a group where you let them in your life fully and you are exposed before them for accountability and for fellowship. It is just easier. I mean, I had a ministry mindset for years that this zone was my comfort zone. And then I would, you know, interact with others and, you know, and as whatever. The Lord flipped that on its head. He just said, no, you're going to interact first. And if I give you a chance to speak, that'll come second. And it just only because I had so much religion steeped within me. And he was like, you know, you've got to give of yourself. You've got to interact. You've got to learn how to love and be around people that aren't, aren't like you at all. And God's given us such amazing people in ignition and in the body around us. And by the way, whoever he brings into your life, it is for a purpose. If you are highly annoyed by somebody that you know deep down has a really good heart, ask the Lord what that's about. Because I'll guarantee you the Lord is putting that in your life to refine you, to teach you how to love. We don't, we're not called just to love like-minded people. Difficult people, annoying people, odd people are very, very um, amazing in this humbling journey. People that have very different ways of being and just idiosyncrasies. And all of these things are really, really important because, man, when I think of stewardship, one of the things the Lord has done, and it's encouraged my faith even, is to teach me how to love. I think it's in the, I, I said it this morning in the ladies' class, I didn't even get the reference, it bugs me when I get the wrong reference, but it's somewhere in First John, it says, He that loveth not, knoweth not God. If we don't love, we don't actually know God as intimately as we need to. And all of this has to do with being ready, being prepared, and um, having just the right paradigm. So that was just something burning within me I just wanted to add. um, And uh, I feel an, an ominous suddenly that is upon us. I had shared a dream at the beginning of the ladies' class, but it was just a, there is, we already know this from our spirits, from what the Lord's revealed, from what the prophets are releasing. But um, readiness in in a braced place of uh, just like a stance of faith where we absolutely believe him. And if you think you're going to be able to respond when the shaking shakes more, but yet you struggle a little bit responding right now with little things, I mean, this is the time to practice. This is the time. If if, if a little sacrifice is hard for you, how will it be to do the big ones um, when they're needed? How will it be to stand? And the Lord, I want to know his ways, not just his acts. I want to know his ways. And the only way he's going to entrust me with his ways is for me to trust him. Because the more I trust him, the more he can entrust me with himself. So um, I pray that that is your heart as well. Father, thank you, God. Thank you for this word. Thank you for all that you are doing beyond our understanding. We just love you so much, God. And I pray, God, that you would help us to step, Lord, as we even spoke about in the ladies' class, to get revelation is one thing, to then back up the revelation you gave us with sacrificial steps of, of our action, of our faith in our works is a different matter altogether, but it will reveal whether our faith is alive or is dead because we know that faith without the backed up life is dead. So God, I just pray that you'd help us to be ready in every sense, but not just a ready for circumstances, but every day to just know you more, to desire, to to never rest on the fact that yeah, I got, I, I got my time in, and, and I'm, I'm feeling the warm and fuzzy from you, God, and so I'm now I'm going to go about my day. Oh, God, you are an inquenchable thirst. You are a desire to know you is to just want to know you more. As Greg said at the beginning, it just is. It's, it's not like we're, we're dissatisfied in the sense of restlessness, but it's, a, it's an I want more. And so, God, I pray that you would just awaken that within us. So many people feel like if they get their hour in, and sometimes it's down to the the dot. They won't give more than an hour. If something goes longer, it's just they begin to be restless. God, don't let people rest on putting their time into the system of religion and then going about their lives. I know that's why you're shaking it all up. God, let us be true worshipers of you all the time, just hungry for you. God, we just want you. We want to know you more. I thank you for all those who are fasting and praying together on additional prayer calls at at just (laughs) insanely odd hours of the day. God, and, and I know when you started the first prayer call at 430, I... Our flesh just immediately goes, well, I'm out, because that's just not what I do. Oh, but God, when you revealed it, and I, I just wept when you revealed, it was a test to see how much, for those that were called to that, it was a test to see how much we wanted you. And God, I, I just thank you that you, you put it within my heart to want you, because I wasn't even sure if I could make it till the next morning. Thank you that it's now 5.30. I praise you for that. Instead of 4.30. But God, in in each of us, there are individual tests of how much we want you. And it may look very, very different. But God, I just pray that you would just ignite within us a hunger and a thirst for you. beyond, Beyond what we desire for anything else. God, we just really love you. It's easier said than done. But keep us just seeking you every day. I just praise you, God. Please don't let this word return void in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.